You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. Our guest today is Scott Apsher, who is a co-founder and chief executive officer at Shift Pixie. Scott, what does Shift Pixie do? Well, uh, Barbara, uh, number one, thanks for uh, having me on and enjoy, enjoy the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, Shift Pixie uh, was really founded originally with the idea of correcting some problems that we noticed in the, the human capital side of, for restaurant operators. Uh, they had suddenly run into um, where the, the, the tradition had always been 100% turnover was the expectation for restaurant operators, especially for their part-time labor. Uh, but uh, with the advent and rise of the gig economy, uh, those uh, those levels had gone to toxic levels to three and four hundred percent in some cases. So we saw an opportunity uh, to uh, take what we had learned in in over 25 years in human capital management and deploy uh, gig uh, economy technology in a very elegant way and uh, create new connections for operators to this new part time labor uh, movement. But uh, in doing that, uh, we, we've made other discoveries along the way. We, uh, we discovered that uh, when we had the human capital uh, oriented correctly uh, with, for an operator, that we could also leverage that human capital to uh, initiate native or self-delivery of, of, uh, instead of uh, relying on third-party delivery. So that's, uh, that's been a, a very interesting uh, addition to our path. And, uh, and then ultimately, this technology and strategy has also led us into uh, uh, the ghost kitchen movement. And so uh, we were, uh, announced a recent uh, uh, innovation on our part to open up a, a ghost kitchen operation and uh, start piloting that in other markets. So what's your background? How did you get involved in all of this? Well, both my co-founder and I uh, kind of grew up in the human capital management business. He's been in it longer than I have uh, for 30 years. And uh, when he and I met, uh, we were both, uh, we loved that business. We loved the liberation it provided for uh, uh, business operators where they could unload all their administrative and compliance responsibilities, all their processing responsibilities, and uh, really focus on their business. But one of the rules of thumb in that, in that industry that we came from was to stay away from part-time labor groups. And again, the reason for that was uh, there was an expectation of 100% turnover. So uh, uh, people in our industry would typically not go after uh, uh, QSR operators, as an example, because of such high uh, part-time labor reliance. And uh, when I met my co-founder, Steve, <laughs> he was actually doing a lot of business there. And uh, I remember at the time telling him that he was crazy. That was a lot of hand-holding and you couldn't make any money with groups like that. And he said, well, he said, you know, uh, as, as needy as your clients are for your services, imagine how much more mine are uh, for, uh, for this type of service and this level of liberation. And he was right. And, uh, but what he, what he called me and, and what uh, brought us together in business was uh, a, something new that he had seen in the market that he hadn't seen in his 30 years in the business. And he said what was happening was uh, a lot of my restaurant operator clients were asking me if I could, if they could, if I could help them find people, and and he said it wasn't just one; it was several of them, and uh, so he he thought about that problem for for a, a minute, 
And, he, and the way we would traditionally service clients in that human capital management space would we would take a what we call a multi-tenant platform. And when you became a client, we would build a silo for you on our platform, and we would put all the this the uh, uh, whatever the subtleties were for servicing you as a client and your and your staff. We would form a silo for you and service you out of that silo. His idea was to take and and since he had uh, many uh, multi-unit operators in the same geography, he said, "What if I could take my uh, platform and put a scheduling apparatus on it?" and allow you to uh, broadcast open shifts to all the employees that are on our platform. And there's a couple of advantages there. Number one, you don't have to go looking for them. They're locally available. And number two, you don't have to go through an onboarding process because they're already uh, boarded in our platform. And when he talked about that, everyone got very excited and, and thought that that would be a good solution. So that was the, the really the beginning of our journey was this idea of uh, sharing human capital in you know in a in a in a very tight geography a lot of restaurants still may be unfamiliar with the term gig economy so what is the gig economy as it relates to the restaurant industry well uh, the gig economy has uh, has for restaurant operators been uh, a friend but also an enemy uh, the gig economy uh, is is what brought uh, in uh, uh, companies like Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmates, uh, and what they're relying on is uh, independent uh, contractors moving about the country to facilitate uh, delivery of of restaurant operators' uh, food orders to their customers. So that's that's uh, one way to think about the gig economy. The other is that. Uh, uh, Industries such as the, the restaurant industry that have a high reliance on part-time labor are now uh, uh, competing with, uh, for that same part-time labor group with the gig economy. These, uh, there's people that if they're committed to working part-time, they don't have to uh, put on a uniform and, and, uh, and, uh, and work behind a register or work behind a grill. Now they can just flip on their phone and they can work anytime they want, wherever they want. And essentially make the same uh, the same type of money, so uh, and that that new wrinkle in the, the uh, part time labor markets has uh, really been uh, uh, created uh, some uh, real turmoil for restaurant operators in terms of trying to find and keep people. How is Shift Pixie helping restaurants during the pandemic? Well, what was what was interesting for us was we had a, a couple of uh, big problems that we were fixing in in the, the restaurant operator. Uh, industry. Number one, uh, the idea that they, ca they can't find and keep people. So we were fixing that with this hu on-demand on human capital platform. And uh, the other uh, solution was this uh, native or third-party delivery, the self-delivery technology and, and strategy that we deployed. And everybody agreed uh, that it was a, a very elegant solution to, uh, to a couple of very big problems. But you know what? One of the things about the restaurant operator uh, community is uh, a good number of them are franchised business owners, and what what they bought was really a business in a box, an automatic business, if you will, and they follow the operating procedures of the franchisor, etc. And in order to fix these two problems that we're fixing, you do have to open up the box and you have to tinker with it a little bit, and that's where we saw a lot of people. Uh, uh, walk all the way to the edge, but not want to jump off. Then COVID-19 happened. 
And all of a sudden, uh, th there were several uh, realizations. Number one, um, th uh, they were losing their human capital. The, the people, uh, people were, uh, in some cases, maybe not coming back. So that, that, that completely shifted the human capital uh, calculus. But more importantly, they lost their connections to their customers. Since customers were not coming in, it, they, you can see the, uh, the spectrum obviously is, is, is very different for different uh, formats. Pizza guys are all doing very well. People with uh, drive-through capabilities are doing okay. They're still down. And then those that rely uh, heavily, those brands that rely heavily on dine in, the dine-in experience with the customer are in real trouble. And, uh, and so what they realized were, was one of the things that we had been talking about in our journey with, with, uh, with the, the uh, industry was you have got to embrace this digital connection. You, what's happened is um, these uh, third-party platforms have deployed billions of dollars to create this new market and this new uh, consumer habit. And a lot of the brands were very flat-footed in moving. They were, they were okay uh, taking business that was brought to them, but what they didn't realize is, number one, the operators were losing money on every order that was coming in, and they were losing that connection with the customer and the customer's data. What was happen, happening for us was a lot of the, the conversations we were having with the market and, and the solutions that we were offering, uh, everyone agreed they were elegant, uh, but they would require some change, and nobody really wanted to uh, think about uh, the, the change, uh, even though they knew they needed to, and they were afraid that they were uh, going to uh, not get, uh, you know, implement change quick enough. Uh, then suddenly COVID hits, and and everything that we've been talking about starts making sense. This this way to uh, better connect with human capital to to run the business, but also. Uh, uh, embracing, you know, digital technology that to, to keep you from being separated from your customer in a, in a time like this. So now everybody is rethinking their digital strategy. They're rethinking uh, customer acquisition, customer uh, uh, management, uh, but they're also rethinking human capital. You know, a lot of them are concerned that once they go back to full steam, that their employees aren't going to come back. So. A lot, a lot of, a lot of interest in what we're doing now, and uh, a lot of you know desper desperation, I would say, and and uh, and uh, fear is is driving a lot of this. Do you feel Shift Pixie is helping them problem solve? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Like I said, they they're they're competing against all kinds of influences in the marketplace, and COVID is just has just uh, elevated the the uh, the problem. The uh, you know they're, they're competing against third parties for their own customers, they're competing against uh, the the third party and the gig economy uh, operators for human capital, uh, but now COVID completely changes the competitive landscape and and so our engagement is designed to be very simple, very easy to integrate, um, and the economics are are hugely uh, uh, turned in the favor of the operator. Uh, using uh, the Ship Pixie technology and strategy, so uh, yeah, we see we see uh, uh, not beyond COVID. We see this as an opportunity for uh, operators and brands to really rethink uh, uh, several areas of their business in, in the event something like this happens again. So we were talking about the ghost kitchen environment, um, and it sounds like you're really excited about it. So it's nothing to be scary about for anyone. No, not really. It's uh, from all the operators that we've talked to, all the ones that we've seen, all the the uh, 
the contemplations that a lot of our clients have had uh, about the ghost kitchen market. Um, I think we landed on uh, a, a, a mix of, of uh, innovation. Again, thinking about this as a culinary uh, accelerator or, or incubator, if you will. Um, I think that approach uh, lines up very well with uh, our ethos, our corporate ethos, uh, about how we like to help operators and help them innovate uh, and help them make market pivots. I think that uh, that approach really fits us very well. And everyone on our side is very excited about it, very little apprehension. And again, uh, our approach is going to be to open our first uh, Ship Pixie Labs operation in Miami, where we're uh, get, uh, preparing to re-headquarter the, uh, the company to Miami as well. And uh, that's a great market for us to be launching uh, this type of, a, uh, of a, an operation and innovation. Why why do you think Miami is a great market for this? Well, it's it's a, 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 a question of population density. Uh, you have a, a very dense population in a very small uh, radius and uh, diversity. You have a lot of uh, uh, ethnic, ethnic diversity there that I think uh, is, is going to be well suited for this. You've got a lot of tourist uh, traffic running through there. And with the way we're going to create content through this whole process and, and even this contest approach that we're taking uh, uh, to sh into uh, our approach to Ship Pixie Labs, uh, we think that uh, Miami gives us a, a great place to kind of debug this and, and, and figure out what's going to work and, and especially what will work in other markets. Tell me a little bit more about the contest approach. What uh, it, 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 we had an inter interesting uh, uh, pass uh, cross uh, for us. My uh, son-in-law actually uh, is is in the the uh, the business of producing that type of content uh, in LA and has has done Iron Chef, Top Chef, uh, done uh, work with Alton Brown, and uh, and so uh, uh, and he's uh, always been in the the production of uh, high quality content. We started tinkering around with this idea with him actually a couple of years ago, uh, but it was more built around um, the content that we wanted to, to create for actually uh, training inside of our application platform where we want to be able to conduct micro training uh, for the brands and build that video curriculum. But then we started, we started seeing uh, the more the ghost kitchen idea was being pressed on us. We, we saw an opportunity to really uh, take it up a notch and, and use that contest to create some, uh, that con contest format. Uh, again, thinking of Shark Tank meets Iron Chef uh, to uh, actually uh, elevate um, our game uh, and, and really create some uh, very addictive content on our, for our YouTube channel. So that was, we, we thought the contest approach was, was uh, the, the, really the best way to elevate that, that story and that, that attraction to the proposition. And what kind of response have you received so far? Great, great responses. Uh, we've had already. We're we're allowing people to uh, download the app and register to be a, a contestant. Uh, one of the things too about Miami and why uh, that became a market selection for us. We we did a look uh, a check in Southern California where we're headquartered currently um, for culinary schools, um, and there were only uh, maybe a couple in Southern California that we that we identified. But when we looked at Miami, there uh, in South Florida, there were a lot of culinary schools, 
And uh, so we thought that, you know, that would be a good feeder for us for uh, some of the, that, uh, those uh, contestants. But what we uh, have already experienced is a lot of people have an interest in that contest approach. So people that are either executive chefs or they have an idea, uh, we, they've already been uh, reaching out to, uh, to be considered as a, a contestant. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's already uh, gotten a lot of interest. Do you think that that is a symbol of the interest in the ghost kitchen environment moving forward? I think so. Uh, what, what we're again, I w- the feedback that we were getting from a lot of uh, the smaller brands that we work with is is they looked at it in two ways. Number one, that it, it allowed them to rethink real estate and how they uh, how they uh, treated real estate. They also knew that if they were going to do that, um, they were going to have to elevate their digital game in order for them to be successful in a ghost kitchen platform or environment that they would have to become good digital marketers. So that, that really uh, drew them uh, to our proposition. But the, uh, the third was that um, they, they uh, in, in, in their descriptions, they thought they saw it as a platform or an opportunity to actually uh, innovate and be creative and experiment and try new things. And every one of them, every one of them that we talked to, they said, yeah, I've got some things we'd like to try. That would be the perfect environment for us to try. So I think that our approach now with this, this, you know, thinking about it more as a, a platform for innovation and incubation and even accelerating new ideas, I, I think that really uh, dials in the, uh, you know, p- part of the market interest in, in, um, in uh, ghost kitchens. So earlier this year, um, we had talked about uh, different challenges for restaurants, and you had authored a piece for us that kind of detailed some of the issues that the industry was facing, including delivery, uh, of course, always labor issues, um, and compliance. Um, Have those challenges totally flipped and changed with COVID, or are those still the thematic cha- challenges that they face moving uh, moving ahead. Yeah, I would say COVID's ex- been an accelerant. Uh, I, I don't think anything's uh, flipped. I don't think those things have uh, changed priority. I think they've only accelerated those. Uh, on, on the human capital side, COVID has meant uh, a, a, a much larger disconnect between operators and, and, the, and the human capital markets. Um, but COVID has also separated them from their customers. Uh, by again, depending on their format, um, if they were not already digitally directly connected to their customers and they were uh, operating through third parties, they uh, they were disconnected. Uh, so uh, COVID has only accelerated and elevated the 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 uh, the injury there uh, it, it, from our viewpoint. So what's next for Shift Pixie? Well, Miami number one. That's all. That's going to be a lot for us to, to digest, but. Part of our strategy there for Miami was uh, w- we've established a very good ground game in, uh, on the West Coast um, with the operator community out here. Uh, we've, we've done a little bit of good work in, in, on the East Coast, but we really need to step up our game. And, um, and, and, and we see that re-headquartering there is going to really focus our attention on the East Coast and, and our East Coast expansion. So that was, that was really uh, one of the prime drivers. So that's going to keep us very busy. Uh, this the the learnings from our ghost kitchen uh, approach and this uh, this uh, idea of an incubator accelerator, uh, I think is going to be a major focus for us uh, in in the in the the coming year. Uh, again, there's an enormous amount of interest in this, and we've got a lot of work uh, around building out that uh, that facility because it's uh, 
the way we, we have to think about it, it's not just a, a ghost kitchen facility, it's also going to be a studio. And so there's a lot of work around that uh, because of the hybrid nature of it. But uh, uh, it's, it, it's, it's been interesting, uh, <laughs> this, uh, the past few weeks, all the interest on, on this, this approach to ghost kitchen, and then all of our conversations with, uh, equipment manufacturers and that sort of thing. You can see people really understand what this is and what it could become. So we think this, this is going to be a, a great way for us to, uh, continue to, uh, to forward, uh, to innovation in the marketplace. A lot of work though. That's what they say about the restaurant industry. It's it's always yes. work. Everybody, anybody who said it would yep. be fun to run a restaurant doesn't really know what they're talking about because it's a lot no. of work. Yeah, that was my that was my first job was in a in a a, a, a fine dining establishment south of Chicago, uh, and uh, great work. In fact, I even thought about going to culinary school at the, at that time because I enjoyed being around the kitchen, being around the the, the work. But uh, uh, after a few years in the restaurant industry, it was uh, it was it was just nonstop work. And but I loved it as a kid. But it it just it would I I don't know how people do it for a, a lifetime. Well, it is a great training ground for any other career because you learn it so is. many skills and thinking on your feet and just the environment. But some people may not be ready for that kind of environment and to kind of take that in. Uh, as a career, I think it's good, especially as uh, and again, I, I wanted in in Illinois when I grew up uh, at si at sixteen was when you could first start working, and uh, the day I turned sixteen, I, I went in there and I marched in there and and filled out an application and was and went to work right away, uh, but and and it, part of what it did for me at that young age was uh, develop really good uh, a good work ethic. Um, number one, uh, an appreciation for work, number two, but also uh, skills in dealing with people, either dealing with customers, dealing with team members, and dealing with management. And like you said, thinking on your feet and making making a good decision. So it was, uh, you're right, it's a, it's a great place to start business life for sure. So what excites you and then what scares you about the restaurant industry moving forward? What excites me is the opportunity to help operators. Um, one of the things that uh, we learned from being in the human capital business for so long is that once a business owner operator is liberated from the human capital drama and uh, and the uh, the minutia and um, and all the compliance issues, uh, that they don't ever want it back. And we've had operators over the years that have said, you know, I don't think I'd still be in business if it weren't for you. And, um, you know, having had conversations with business operators over the years that have uh, sold their business and you ask them what they loved about their business and they got great stories to tell, romantic stories to tell about the industry or the, the business and some of their war stories. You ask them what they hate about the business and it's always the same answer. It was people. And so not because they hated people, it's they hated the, the, uh, the baggage people came with and the drama that they came with that uh, became uh, just uh, a, a time suck for them. And so once they, uh, an operator has an opportunity to liberate themselves from that and refocus and rethink their, uh, that part of their business, they don't ever want it back. And they, the sense of liberation, really, you can see it. It's a, it's a pickup in their, in their, in their step. Um, and, and so that always excites us. That's, that's what keeps us you know, uh, enthusiastic about the, the future. And, and, uh, and it's a passion that drives us in the business. 
The, uh, the thing that concerns me, I would say, is just a lack of innovation. There's a lot of brands that are, that are not, in a, not moving uh, and adapting uh, uh, quickly enough, especially with this digital transformation that's going on. A lot of them, I think, are going to find themselves flat-footed. It, it, COVID has certainly elevated that necessity. Everybody that now has a clear focus that if they don't have that digital connection and they, they don't become uh, better digital marketers and really own their digital real estate, if they can't do those things, uh, they won't survive another event like, like COVID. So we're seeing some brands um, really step up. There's some uh, some great major brands that we're in conversations with that you can tell that they're really thinking through this and they don't want to be flat-footed again. Most people believe this could happen again very easily, and uh, but uh, but I'm not seeing it everywhere, and that and that really that kind of scares me because I I see some really ve uh, uh, venerable brands uh, that are that are probably going to you know, go off the radar here because they just, they're, they're either in survival mode, uh, but they, they need to really think beyond survival mode. And hopefully if uh, things start coming back to normal here, hopefully this fall, maybe, maybe some of them will use that, that, uh, that is a, a way to recorrect their course and, and, and really elevate their digital game. Or, or our fear is that they're just they're just not going to survive. Well, the restaurant industry wasn't known for being uh, the most tech savvy or uh, uh, integrating tech uh, quickly. Do you think because um, they've now seen the solutions that uh, being uh, more digital provide and the necessity for it that they'll be more open to it in the future? I think so. I think they're seeing enough evidence at the peer level. I think there there's a, there are some innovators that are that are making those changes and and elevating their digital game. And so there'll be a lot of peer examples. And the the other side of that though is you have a you know again a lot of uh, especially on the franchise brands, they bought a business in a box and they don't want to tinker with it. So unless the the franchise or or the brand starts taking leadership with them, uh, a lot of these guys, you know, may not make it. But uh, I, I, I'm hoping that as these peer level innovations start getting out in the marketplace and, and uh, people start paying attention to those, we're, we hope that that'll, um, that'll uh, help, uh, you know, elevate the game. The other concern I have uh, is, um, you know, private equity is, is always going to be in, in the marketplace. Uh, the my you know I, I have a concern where private equity is is involved that that it's really they look at it as an asset um, and, and in a lot of cases they don't look at uh, altering or 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 trying to um, trying to I'm trying to find a, a kind way to put it but they don't really innovate once they once they get these they just hold it on the books and uh, I don't know if it's if they're strategy is to flip it later to somebody else um, and just and keep moving money around but what what happens is when they come in they also they tend to strip out you know the, the the former management team usually goes to the beach at that point or the former ownership will go to the beach and then you kind of strip the heart out of the business and unless you're um, unless you're you have a plan to go in there and retool and refurbish and refresh the business uh, that's, you're, you're going to just see it, uh, its value, um, uh, decay. And, th and that's a concerning thing. And I, 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 I'm not seeing a lot of that, 
there's some there's some uh, there, there's some opportunities I think out there, but but um, um, I I just think it it kind of uh, some of those transactions I think strip those uh, those brands of their soul, and uh, it's hard to get that back. Would you say you're optimistic about the future for the restaurant industry? I am. Uh, it, look, it, I, I suppose it's an it's evolution, right? The, the survival of the fittest. I mean, there there are probably some that are on the margins that that you know they may be passionate about you know um, uh, the culinary arts, but they may not be good business operators, and and that's a shame that 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 the two can't meet. But COVID is one of those things that it's a maybe once in a generation or a, or a, you know once in a century uh, issue that nobody saw coming and and nobody was really equipped to navigate around or through but i i think that what is also going to be is a good uh teaching tool and a good uh, a good there are a lot of good learning will come from this and a lot of hopefully a lot of good innovation will come from this and i think those will be new tools that'll that'll uh, help uh operators and brands not just uh, survive another event like this, but actually, you know, uh, you know, thrive through it and, and, it, and it would be less impactful next time. So, yes, I am very optimistic about the industry. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. 